Hello, everyone. I'm Trent Luce. Welcome to another edition of Rural Route, the program where we gather every day at this time. Well, we do it Monday through Friday anyway, and what we do when we gather is continue to address the issues between rural and urban America. Every Wednesday, we have a little reminder weekly to get prepared for a storm ahead, and that reminder comes to us from somebody who's been there, done that, J.C. Cole from Inner City, New Jersey. No, out in the country in New Jersey. How are you, J.C.? I'm good. How about you guys? Uh, We hit another stride last night. In North Dakota, we think we had right at 800 people. Minokin Grove, just outside of Bismarck, four representatives of county sheriff's departments. It was fantastic. The energy of the people. Of course, we had the uh, ultimate um, community organizer, Marty Beard, in charge, so it's all good. You missed it. You should have been there. Ah, Yes. You know, I would have taken the road trip, but we had a pretty heavy thunderstorm. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> I could have publicly then said, J.C. Cole, this is the guy I have to say thank you to getting me in on this entire endeavor. See, yeah. That would have been my golden opportunity. Right. Well, you might get that once you come to New Jersey. Yes, I, I will get that. Absolutely will. As right. we stand at, on your, at your farm with horses and chickens in the background. Don't forget the goats. <laughs> <laughs> How can we forget the goats? Right. What uh, What's going on, J.C.? Nothing in the news this week. Is there no bombing of uh, or explosions in oil refineries or anything? Well, actually, there were, but I didn't want to bring it up. As in uh, Iran, I think, um, had a, um, their oil fields uh, um, caught on fire or blew up or something. But, um, you know, I didn't see anything locally. But we did have something very interesting happen. Um, I think as the listeners know that uh, there are sun cycles and there's an 11 year sun cycle where the sun goes from being very quiet with no sunspots up to uh, a midpoint when there are a lot of sunspots and then back down to quiet. And uh, we entered cycle 25 um, probably last year and the um, a sunspot is generally where uh, coronal mass ejections come from. And those are very important for us in our magnetosphere um, because it actually builds our magnetosphere. But the sun has been also on a 400-year cycle, and our magnetosphere is getting weak. It's basically like the shields on Star Trek. Uh, so uh, I think it was the 3rd of July uh, at an X-class uh, flare went off. Um, and they have uh, many different levels of flares, but the X-class is the highest and the most dangerous. Um, this one was small, so um, that's not a big concern. It's just the first X-class of cycle 25. And it was facing Mars, so it won't disturb um, uh, the Earth. But what this is saying is that the X-class flares have begun, and someplace uh, the peak should be about 2025. And we have a lot of concern um, because of such a weak magnetosphere uh, to absorb 
if we get an X class of maybe X20 to, uh, to 40, our electric grid just totally gets fried. And the big issue with that is we no longer make the very large transformers. Mm-hmm. Uh, and and uh, it takes over a year to make these, and that would shut wow. us down. If, yeah. Um, they're, they're quite expensive, uh, and uh, there's a very long delay in getting them. And if we lose a few of those, then our grid shuts down, and basically – um, you know, our supply chain shuts down. We don't die from lack of electricity. We die from lack of water and lack of food and bad hygiene. And so that's the big issue. That's why I keep on saying back up with, uh, with diesel to get through a, um, you know, a period of chaos. Yeah. So the first X flare went off and, and by coincidence, there's an excellent article in zero hedge that uh, came out just after that. Um, it says, uh, cyber attacks against the U.S., right? Uh, no, I'm sorry. Um, on Zero Hedge, why isn't, it, why isn't it the U.S. preparing for EMP war like the rest of the world? Which is, which is true. Why is it that we're not protecting our grid? It's, it's, um, uh, so, that, so then my question is, what is the rest of the world doing to do that, to prepare? Well, it's hard to, Jack, to, you know, I, you know, I tried to call President Putin and ask him how he's protecting his grid, but, you know, it didn't get through. <laughs> but it, it's fairly simple. Hey, you, you just need to be resilient. Yeah, yeah, now, now, you should know better than that. <laughs> right. But, but it's fairly simple. You put a high, a high quality surge protector on your, on your, uh, transformers in your grid. Um, was it Professor James McCanny said we could do this quite quickly? Um, you know, and of course, there are estimates that might cost five billion dollars to ten billion dollars to protect the U.S. grid. And our government just spent ten trillion dollars on this COVID fiasco. So why could they not spend zero point zero zero five percent to protect our electric grid it's a very important question mm-hmm. um, so so it's almost like the 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 u.s congress has been compromised no no that could never have happened no. compromised and they're not allowing us to protect our grid this should be wake-up flags for everybody you know that that the probably one of the most important areas of national security is to to harden the grid along with um my favorite topic food security and they're not doing it so 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 that means you're on your own and i just want to add that this is not unknown to everybody jc cole's not the only one that knows this back and i believe it was april when i was very blessed to speak at the uh, Lignite Energy Council meeting. Mike Nazi from Texas was on the program as well, and he categorically walked through how this summer would bring about an unusual heat spell. He did not talk about the sunspots, but that's exactly what he was talking about, and that it would put our power grid in a in a position of risk unlike we've ever had before. There are people that know this. So there's no reason for nobody to be addressing it. My 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 guess is if the federal government now 
President Trump did sign an executive order to start protecting the grid. I don't know where that, you know, what's happened with that executive order. Again, we don't know if it's canceled. We don't know if it's uh, if somebody's actually applying it. We we simply don't know. But if you look at it, I think that the governors ha- uh, have to get in the act and basically demand um, that their local um, uh, utility companies put in, um, lack of a better word, surge protectors. And, and it can be done. People don't even plug their computer in at home without a surge protector. And you're telling me that the United States entire power grid is out there vulnerable to a surge? Yeah, exactly. We can go through the mechanics very simply. Uh, an EMP is an electronic magnetic wave. And when it crosses over um, telephone lines or power lines, uh, it creates additional electricity inside the cables. And that electricity, that additional electricity feeds back to the transformers. And, and you know what happens then. Then you have a, a conflict of electricity coming from both sides and it blows up the transformer. So you mm-hmm. can you can put these on. We know this, and and we I I, I would um, assume that uh, the Russians and the Chinese know this also, and they're taking action. Now it's very interesting that my information said that President Reagan started to do this, and President George Bush Senior stopped it, which may yeah. be who he is. Was yes. And so, so we're sitting here just waiting for some form of either a natural occurrence from the sun. Mm-hmm. Um, last I checked, nobody can control the sun, including the Department of Defense. But, you know, you never know yeah. um, <laughs> that if if we get a large X flare uh, generally regarded as. Uh, the Carrington event, which actually happened, I think it was 1859, which an X-flare about X-44 came and, and basically hit the, uh, the world with a magnetic pulse that was massive. At that time, we didn't have electric grids. But what we did have was telegraph um, uh, systems, and those actually caught on fire and burnt, uh, some of them burnt down. Hmm. So, so we know this is real. We know that something happened uh, 1989 in um, uh, Ontario and shut down their grid. Right? So we know these things actually happen. JC, this actually happens too. I interrupt and say, Arise USA, the tour is coming to a town near you. We'll be back with more Roll Route after this. Welcome back. Roll Route, Trent Luce alongside... J.C. Cole did not even get to talk about Neogen. I got so wrapped up in the power grid and what happened in Canada in 1989. We'll do that later. Shining a light. Ironic that we would have that as a tagline, shining a light on your genetic yes. research. Neogen.com. We might need to shine a light. light with, you better shine the light with your own generator. <laughs> <laughs> and, of course, three years of diesel. <laughs> yes, three years of diesel. How deep so in the ground was, do we need to bury that? That was a discussion I had yesterday. Uh, so, so, um, well, it is good to bury it, but you better have a very good container. Um, That's then, always uh, the case. There, there was um, 
there was a, uh, a headline, uh, California begs for more electricity as shift to renewable power leaves state in the dark. Uh, California has been in the dark for a very long time, but that's beside the point. That is beside the point. Right. And, you know, this is actually quite concerning when you start to look at those different dominoes that are forming, such as the drought in the in the Midwest and the shortage of electricity. And again, where our food is, you know, uh, we had uh, talked last week that what 90 percent of the vegetables that are grown in the U.S. come from California. Well, you know, that's going to be a real problem if uh, California shuts down. Interestingly enough, you know, I've been in the drought country. There's been some relief in the last three days since July the 3rd. I can feel it. There's some sort of a shift in the weather pattern right now. But at the same time as this massive drought is occurring in the West, we've had massive flooding in the center part of the country. Yes, center and south, um, southeast, and, and now we have a hurricane coming to slam Florida. Nice. Yeah. So, um, by the way, my, my, uh, I do have my trivia question, but it might be interesting for the general audience to hear it. Okay. All right. So this date, July the 7th in 1930, what happened in Nevada, Arizona, uh, and Arizona that would change those areas, Nevada, Arizona, and Southern California. Okay. On this day in 1930, in three different places, all with a lot of sun, I might add. Correct. Yeah. All right. We'll see who answers that. So, so, so it just, JC, it just it puts a fire inside of me that we know, anybody who's a logical thinker knows, that to continue to move to reliance upon electricity and solar and wind um, is just not sustainable. And yet people can't stop tripping over themselves to try to tell us to do it. Right. Oh, I think we got an, I I know we have the answer. Correct. The Hoover dam. The Hoover dam began construction, which Which is very, it was not called the Hoover dam at that time though. It later. Yeah. All right. Milford Dawson, I'm going to send you the dog lover. Good job. All right, so back to the, this. Is, it, it can't, it can't be anything you, unintentional. It, you know, it, it's amazing because, you know, our our government is this massive thing that is not united. And we're sitting here identifying a critical issue for national security and we can't see anybody doing anything about it. And, and and believe me, our enemies know this. It's very simple to take down our grid, mm-hmm. uh, either physically or electronically. And and many people have the technology, or many countries have the technology to do it. it. It's simply a large EMP blast. So we're it makes basically you wonder why it hasn't happened. It looks like there's a very large chess game going on. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, and, and President Trump did sign an executive order to get the start getting this done. But so, so the meanwhile, you have to protect yourself. And uh, if the electricity grid goes down, basically all cities become waste zones because they 
their um, their ability to uh, provide water and sewer um, utilities uh, ends. Well, at the end of the day, that's the message every single time, JC, is that you're going to have to protect yourself. We, we've just become so reliant upon the system to provide the essentials, and we've moved away from supplying. Your, your, everybody wants to talk about sovereignty. You can't talk about sovereignty when you're completely dependent upon payments from the government, when you're dependent upon the government to make sure that you have electricity. We go out and we mandate people get on public water systems. That All of that creates a dependence. Why would you want that? There, there are other things that are happening uh, that, that add to it, such as if you remember the old days, you'll see the water tower, especially out west, you see this massive water tower. Mm-hmm. Well, when you understand the engineering, it only takes a little bit of uh, energy to pump the water in slowly, and it creates a hydraulic head that feeds the, um, <clears throat> feeds the town. Well, because of electricity and the, the new pumping systems, they started to take down the water towers. So a lot of those towns that took down their water towers are totally dependent on electricity um, for the pumping stations. Right. And if those pumping stations go, um, that's it. No water distribution. You know, again, this is civil engineering. You mean those those big buildings aren't just to say the town's name? I thought that was just to welcome people coming through so that they knew they were in Payson, Illinois. Yes, well, you know, it's one one really nice billboard. Yes, that's true. <laughs> of course, in our younger days, the object was to climb up there and oh, scrape your name. Yeah. yeah. That but, cow tipping. <laughs> just, just think about how innovative those, uh, I won't call them founding fathers, but those, those pioneers of finding a way to utilize the resource to improve lives. From an irrigation standpoint to a water standpoint to all of those things, and we moved away from them that, that's without, true. without that, thinking about it. Sorry to interrupt again. Yeah, one of one of the most fascinating books I found it was actually in Tractor Supply was a uh, um, a reproduced copy of a 1906 Sears Roebuck catalog. It was fascinating. You know, it was about two inches thick, and it showed right. all of these inventions that the farmers had created to get their jobs done. You know, and, and I'm afraid we're going to have to come back to that if we lose the power grid. It's going to be total chaos if we lose the power grid, even for a week, let alone for a month or longer. That's true. And and if you look, our system is actually being protected by the thin blue line. These are police officers and our sheriffs and our deputies that are keeping, keeping let's say, um, uh, crime at bay, and if they lose their ability to do that, communications, uh, electricity, um, uh, gasoline, then who's going to keep the the wolves away from the sheep? Right. And I think the only answer is the sheepdogs. That's a perfect analogy. Yeah, that's that's our veterans, and are we treating our veterans correct? No. What, no. what is wrong with us? You know, it, it, my view is have a farm. It's in the mountains. Have a bunch of veterans there, keeping them um, happy and and uh, and teaching them a little bit of farming. And then we'll see how this plays out. Mm-hmm. Along with my three years of diesel. Back to the uh, fort system is what you're the fort structure. Uh, pretty much. Yeah. 
Now, I want to touch base a little bit on the, the Boulder Dam because we're we're looking at it, and it's at its lowest point since it opened um, and started to get filled. But people aren't paying attention to one other factor. One of my, you know, I had two degrees, one in civil engineering, one in geology, and both of them I had to study dam failures. The Boulder Dam is set up at this moment where it could, with uh, the right happenings, the right dominoes falling, collapse and people aren't registering it and what 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 happens is it's only about maybe a third full well if we get a torrential downpour which we are seeing around the world you know like a 500 year storm in the colorado basin and if that damn flash fills right the tectonic um, reaction is that the uh, substrata settles too quick when they actually uh, open a dam, they fill it slowly so that the ground settles. Well, it's been so low for many years that oh. it had, it had uh, rebound, right? It had, um, play, let's say, um, uh, uh, ground rebound. And now if it gets, if it gets you know, a, um, a few billion tons of water weight on it, it could settle and it could create a small earthquake. And that can fracture the foundation. Now, that in itself doesn't mean much. But the um, the emergency overflow tubes of the Boulder Dam have only been used twice, I understand. Uh, last time was 1983, and they are in horrific condition. JC? It's time. Neogen.com. Shining a light on your genetic future from a genomic standpoint we're not talking about providing electricity we're talking about giving you the all of the information possible so that you can make informed decisions for mating for improved efficiency neogen.com we'll be back with the second half of roll route after this welcome back everyone trent loose alongside jc cole coming to us from new jersey uh, with his wisdom acquired started to acquire during the 18 years in Lafayette. So it's so ironic we're talking about this, not at all, but but this week, for the first time in the history of me talking about anything, I had two people in two different places say, I hear the Hoover Dam's at risk. So somebody's at least talking about it. Well, that that's good. There's one other factor in the, in the Hoover Dam is that for a dam to fail, generally, generally, there are a couple of things. One is that it has some form of damage to its structure. The Hoover Dam right now is quite strong. I, I understand from reading the, the engineering reports. But if that settles quickly, it could, it could fracture, um, sure. part of, part of the base. But the other is that it's emergency overflow, uh, uh, tubes are, are in very poor condition and have been for years. I haven't seen any report that they've been repaired, but the, the, the real issue is what's called overtopping. When more water comes into the dam than the dam can release and the water starts breaking over the top. So it's exceeding its design criteria. Well, if you look upstream from the Hoover Dam, you will get to the Glen Canyon Dam. And that has been actually reported in such bad condition that it should be closed. And if the Glen Canyon Dam fails, you'll have a wall of water coming down the river that 
hits like a ton of literally a ton of bricks. Yeah, bricks. And, and so all of those things are sitting there, which means that just one massive rainstorm in the Colorado basin and the conditions are met. And once you lose the Hoover Dam, right? Mm-hmm. What happens to Arizona, Nevada, and Southern California that all depend on its water supply? Mm, they get thirsty. I would say so. <laughs> that um, uh, so. I wonder. Surely somebody has a number. How many people are reliant upon that for water? Yeah, I would think somebody does, but it's got to be in the tens of millions. Tom Elms surely knows. By the way, he beat Milford to that answer, so he's going to have to get a dog lover movie as well. So what do we do now other than prepare ourselves? Because it seems as though our elected officials don't want to pay attention or care about this. Well, well, no, I think what happens is some of them really do. And, of course, they're fighting a very difficult battle, you know, like fighting an octopus. Um, so I, I think you go up the chain um, that, uh, you know, and little by little, you cut off the arms of the octopus, which seems to be what the uh, the Trump administration was starting to do. But, you know, for instance, you have some great governors. I see your in- interviews with them and that they themselves, once being aware of it, can start to take action locally. So it goes from prepare yourself, prepare your community to prepare your state and then prepare your, your, your country. I do have to get a shout out to my governor, Pete Ricketts, who yesterday joined me and he is aggressively working at protecting the citizens of Nebraska from two things, overreach from a property rights standpoint and a land, land grab by Biden. And internally within the state, we have a, a Nebraska a school association problem aggressively teaching kids sex ed at, in first grade and things by the time that they're in 12 years old, was that what, fifth grade uh, that, or seventh grade, that in no way, shape or form should be in a school curriculum. But refreshingly, he's standing up saying we can't let this happen. Right. This is a battle between good and evil. There's no mm-hmm. doubt about it. And people... What I found, and even for me, you know, we didn't believe that evil really existed to that level. But apparently right. we're seeing it. You know, we're, we're seeing, what is it? Um, um, uh, was it um, cross-dressers um, teaching six-year-olds on, uh, you know, on on that it's okay to be, you know, a, a transgender? What? You know. So. One one final kudo to Governor Ricketts, and and I think this is huge. Not only is he aggressively talking about this, he's not trying to create change by sitting in his office in Lincoln, Nebraska, telling people what's going to happen. He's hosting town hall meetings all throughout the state of Nebraska, engaging and empowering people locally to fix it. That's yeah. the mark of a true leader. Yes, and and so I think that there will be a few um, a few governors that that they get get it get the picture and want to defend their people um, will take action. And you know, it's coming down to very very simple things. You better have electricity, 
right? You better have, um, let's say, what we call uh, um, food security, and um, and that includes water for the whatever is happening. You know, obviously something big is happening, and those you know uh, uh, states that don't do this simply won't have food, won't have water, and won't have electricity. And, and, then, then and, they, and you know what? They, you know what they'll be doing. The individuals who let this happen in their state are going to be sitting at home saying, why aren't you helping me? Instead of going out and finding a way to take care of themselves. Correct. Correct. And what happens is we are stuck. We have a a vicious double-edged sword against us. For instance, I'm in New Jersey. This is probably the worst place to be if the electricity drops as far as the state. We have the highest population per square mile. You know, now if you look at New York City and on Long Island, it's even worse. They're stuck on islands with only five exits. If they lose electricity, I would think the military will close the bridges and tunnels and lock them on there. Because if you look at, I was a first responder when I was back, you know, in university and a couple of years after, and I was a, a senior level ski patrol. And we had to learn triage. And, mm-hmm. and triage basically says when you have a massive disaster, you do a quick analysis and certain percentages of people you can't help. You don't do anything with them. You, uh, you know, they are basically, uh, um, uh, well, unhelpable, right? You only help the people that you, that will, you can save. And so if you actually look at it, in my personal opinion, we are in triage as a nation right now. And unfortunately, places like Los Angeles, it's not going to make it if the electricity goes down. New York, Long Island, not even close. And and I hate to say that, and I'm doing as much as I can to wake these people up. I have some friends on Long Island, and they are actually starting to get a place out in the mountains so that they can get out of there. My best friend lived on there, on the island, and and he he moved out to the Lehigh Valley. And so, in Pennsylvania. So, JC, if if this goes down, as you clearly believe that it will, and you have preparation to supply your own electricity, I know you do. But you live in the most densely populated state in the nation, and I got news for you: if your lights are on. You're going to have some house guests, whether you want them or not. How, how do you handle that? Well, that, that's that's exactly my dilemma. It's that I'm caught in a double-edged sword. My family uh, doesn't believe this, and I do. So should I uh, abandon my family, meaning my you know brother, sisters, nephews, um, or should I um, stay here and fight? And so my answer was come up with a business plan for a solution that works. And that means getting out of New Jersey if it breaks. And so I also think about these things to how to protect my country. And that's what I've been trying to do is protect our our country by creating food security so that if we do have a break in the, in the electricity, we have the ability to create food and therefore we can rebuild quickly before damage happens. So, so I'm kind of stuck in that that pattern. But yes, I have the ability to get to Pennsylvania very quickly with a very large amount of stuff, and also have stuff in Pennsylvania in case it happens. 
right? The other thing, especially for those who care about their community and care about uh, people, is that when you prepare, you also prepare with certain items so that you can immediately start rebuilding civilization. Right? You know, then, and that's one of the keys was three years of diesel gives you electricity. With electricity, you can start building a bunch of other things that help your neighbors who didn't think this uh, far ahead. And, of right. course, you know, the, if there is evil, they don't want you to do this. Right. But, for, in, for instance, there's something called um, sin gas or wood gas, which you can actually create um, um uh, energy out of wood, not not using steam, out of wood, uh, uh, a gas that runs a internal combustion engine. So you can get local, you can get local um, uh, generators running. Well, it's not hard to make this as long as you know how to weld and you have the welding equipment. So one of the things to invest in as a farmer is welding equipment, right? And the plans on how to make a wood generator a wood gas generator. And so, so I have those. And, and that means I can get my neighbors up and running also. So, so it's, it's almost like, you know, you're designing a mini arc, you Mm -hmm. know, it was mini arc, except for it's a land arc. Well, you're coming back to the basic building block of the United States of America. And that is a community. Correct. We were built around the community working together and all of this development that we've had created this divide within the community. And so you have to, I love how you're thinking about, you have to think about your neighbors and your community or there's no point in you being there because you're not only surviving, you're trying to recreate that community back together. Correct. And, and, you know, and we had talked a little bit, uh, I don't think we did on air, but if you remember the saying, you know, that your father, your grandfather used to say, it's like, you're going to send me to the poor house, son, right? <laughs> or, or the poor farm, which basically yeah. been, it basically and, translated into stop spending money. Right? And but, you do live at the poor farm, but I got to uh, take a break. You live at the poor farm. And what yeah. the poor farm was before Social Security each township was responsible to take care of their needy. So everybody in the township chipped in. Well, if you read into that, that would only be the needy that are truly needed, you know, need help, right? Because the township would see the people faking it, the five generations on Social Security that are just using as, uh, um, as you know, being parasites on it. Roll out, J.C. Cole. We've got one segment left. Uh, certified Piedmontese. Get more details on the web, LoneCreekCattleCo.com. We're back in the last segment after this. Welcome back. Roll route, Trent Luce. J.C. Cole coming to us from the poor farm. People may not know that history that you have shared with us previously, J.C. That's right. So the town would get together and build either a farm or a house and run it. And, and the people who really had no other way of existence would go there and live. Right? Yeah. So, so whether they are handicapped or, or just poor and didn't have a family to take care of them. So again, it comes back to the local community taking care of itself. 
And what did FDR do? He removed that and put it into the government control. And if you look at Social Security, it originally started that the government was not allowed to touch that money. And I believe it was sometime in the 70s, the government all of a sudden realized how much money had been collected and just wrote a nice IOU and took it. Right. Nice. Illegally. Yeah. Of right. course. So, um, if it was you and me, we call that theft. <laughs> right. And now what they're saying is Social Security is a benefit. What do you mean? I paid into this thing all my life and now it's a benefit that I get it back? What, what do you, where did you get that shift anyway? So <clears throat> glad you put an F in there. Uh, so we, it's even hard for me to grasp how so many of these things started with FDR and it just takes 80 years to come to fruition. Yes. And we get, we, we are coming into different cycles. Very interesting. There's like an 80 year cycle for humanity that you go through kind of four generations. And the generation that really built everything, who knew it and had the hardships, were 80 years ago. And now our younger generation doesn't get that information because right. grandma, gra- great-grandma are no, no longer around. And so they get to complacency, you know, where they, you know, they can't even read a map, a paper map. They have to use their their phone for GPS. Well, that's going to be a a real shocker when GPS doesn't work. So, so, and then you get the collapse and then you get the next generation that starts to rebuild. Well, this time we don't, don't allow the learnings to escape. Now I have a library that is over 700 books, solid books on everything that we need to do. Even if I had to be a cattle rancher. <laughs> right. How to raise you, cattle. You right. stoop that low? No, I, I, I can't climb that high. <laughs> <laughs> oh, my goodness. No, so, so, you know, on everything, on everything we need, uh, you know, we have physical. Now, also, I have a database of um, 7,000 electronic books, papers, PDFs, um, because I know how to keep the electronics working if, if the system breaks. And, uh, and so one of the most important things is to keep our knowledge base. Um, there, uh, there's nothing more important than that. Well, protecting our children, I think, is a is a higher level, but that's how we protect our children with handing down knowledge. Yeah, you just you just stole what I was going to say. Oh, because if you don't have a knowledge base, well, don't don't apologize. It's just the way it is. If you don't have a knowledge base, in fact, I've I've long said. Here's what I've always said: it, it should not be a treat for your kids to see their grandparents, because. That means that you're there, you interact, and kids get the opportunity to learn from three gener as a third generation individual from within the family unit, and particularly the grandparents or the kids right now. They still experienced a little bit a bit of this with the effects of the Great Depression and uh, the Dust Bowl and all of these other things. Now we're getting beyond that now, but that's why we have this complete ignorance to how we need to take care of ourselves and it all comes back to that knowledge base that's right and and um keeping that active and so we are now in that dilemma where 
part of our uh, our society is waking up to this and, and trying to get to it as quick as possible. And of course, what we keep recommending are those two books, you know, Dare to Prepare by Holly Dale and When Technology Fails by Matt Stein, because they give you the knowledge base immediately on how to get through uh, very nasty changes. Uh, mm. So one of the things I saw that you had uh, your friend, uh, Chief Philip Whiteman Jr. on. Correct. A um, um, couple of things. And so I, I listened to him, you know, and he, was, <clears throat> he had some very good words of wisdom, you know, that, <clears throat> you know, we're, we're, we're really should be in stewardship where we're here to take care of, you know, um, the property. I'm, I'm not the owner of the property. I'm the steward of the property. And and someplace along the lines, it will get passed on. But, you know, keeping an open heart, fear, being fearless, you know, have empathy, right, and, and have mercy. I mean, these are all human traits that they're trying to drum out of us. And we must hold fast and keep it. But he said something very interesting twice, which I don't think many people would have paid attention to. And, of course, it's, it's, it's along what the, um, the American Indians believe is that he said, the end is near. Mm -hmm. It will be soon. I, I, I heard him say that. Yeah, and the, the Hopis say the same thing. <clears throat> of course, they don't find what soon is. Um, yeah, exactly. You know, which us who, you know, who, who unfortunately run by a clock want to know. But what they believe is that the the, the, the end of the fourth world is, is coming and that the beginning of the fifth world will begin, um, will happen and that there will be turmoil in the change. And along that lines, the fifth world will be about people who believe, uh, sort by others. That would be more on the Hopis versus this world is sort by self. I do everything for myself, you know, mm -hmm. and for selfishness. Um, versus the next world will be sort by others. We do everything for community. Um, and of course we get rewarded individually for that. And so that, that, that mindset is something to start to look at. So what I've been trying to do is create a model of that mindset that we can build very quickly. Like how to build sustainable farms in less than six months. Now, that's quite a cha um, challenge. Yeah. Well, <clears throat> it appears as though we should get started. I would, I would think so. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And we, and we might want a three-year supply of diesel in there. Yeah, possibly. Right. You also might want to um, plant some um, sunflowers. Now, this is not my expertise, but if you plant sunflowers, you get sunflower oil. And sunflower oil can be used as diesel oil. For the, the older, the older vehicles. Yeah. Right. But it might take a couple sunflowers to make that happen. Just a few. Yeah. <laughs> right. But my, my neighbor actually did it. He planted a whole bunch. Of, I mean, he was a, he's oh, a farmer. Really? So he has, he has territory. So he planted, he planted it. And then the, the good, the good quality sunflower he sold as sunflower oil and the, the bad quality he used uh, to burn uh, electricity to run his greenhouses. So I want to go back to something that you said, which was obviously fostered from Chief Philip Whiteman, who's just a good friend, and I, I love visiting with that guy. In fact, he should be calling me back. He should be on our tour every day. But the 
the whole American Indian philosophy is that they don't own the land. They are stewards of the land. Well, my philosophy is the same thing, that God gave us this creation, and it's our our, our um, obligation to take care of the creation. Responsibility, that's the, that's the word. To take care of this, but we achieve that through owning it and property rights as opposed to we just be stewards and it's like communal property. At the end, the, the goal is the same. It's a matter of the, what the right path is to get to that. I agree. And I would say that the capitalist system means more it shouldn't be communal property because that, mm-hmm. that is literally a disaster. Uh, when it's when you have a communal, let's say a communal farm, not right. everybody works as hard. Right. And, and actually, the pilgrims learned that the first uh, the first year they tried doing communal gardens, and then they they later on uh, um, sectioned it off into uh, individual responsibles uh, abilities. And so, so if you really worked hard, your garden prospered. The guys who didn't work hard, their their um, uh, gardens didn't prosper. And and that actually was one of the one of the reasons the Soviet Union collapsed is because you had, you know, it's the 80-20 rule. Right? You had 20 percent of people that worked really hard. 80 percent kind of took it easy. But the others, the the, uh, the, the farther end of it, 20 percent didn't do anything or showed up drunk. I actually had people show up dead drunk expecting mm-hmm. to work. You know, and we had we had heavy equipment and nail guns and a few other things and, and saws. And they're yeah. like, you're fired. Well, you can't fire me. Yes, I can. Mm-hmm. Right. Because the Soviet system, you couldn't fire them. Right. So they just like kind of put them in the lounge and let them sweep off as drunk while other people are working, getting paid the same amount. Well, that doesn't last long. <laughs> I actually have shared the story a couple of times on this trip, and you, maybe you've heard it, maybe not, but it's still relevant. When you are driving a team of horses, one horse is leading, and, and you can't see this unless you're actually driving them, but there there's one horse that will lead and one horse that's smart enough to just hang back enough that they don't have the full weight of the load, and they're just coasting along with the other one. It, it even happens in, in horses. Yes, yeah, and so so, you know, we have to pay attention to these things, and and we have to adapt them into our productivity. All right, we have one minute. What are we going to do? We're going to do the same thing as always. Please, you know, look at your individual situation and prepare in case um, prepare in case the uh, the system uh, breaks. But but you're not saying in case the system breaks. You're saying prepare when the system breaks. Yeah, I'm being polite. Yes, um, the system, everything, all the engineering data I have shows that the system is going to break. We just don't know what the trigger event will be, and so when it is. You know, financial system, um, uh, the, the supply system, the energy system, they're all positioned to break. Mm-hmm. That's J.C. Cole telling you it's up to you. Don't sit back and say, who's going to prepare me? You! Have to prepare yourself. Final thing, I see several people bringing up that Secretary of Agriculture Tom Vilsack will be in Nebraska this week on Friday. Turns out that we have turned our tour and headed for Nebraska on Saturday, 
Sunday, Monday, Tuesday. Hmm. My home state might be the battleground. Thanks to the governor who has foresight. Thank you, J.C. Cole. We'll see you soon. Come on out and join us in Nebraska. We've successfully journeyed down the road connecting rural and urban America. Thanks to Lone Creek Kettle Company and the certified Piedmontese system for making it happen, which also, by the way, based in Nebraska. All roads do lead to a roll route in Nebraska.